The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Why do most people go to law school? I think most people go to law school because they are aware of the fact that becoming a lawyer comes with privilege and power to make change. How you use that privilege and power, of course, is a different question. So we have that within our our toolboxes. LFAA is by no means the first to focus on systemic racism, but I do believe we are the first to do so in a collaborative way across law firms. We're now at a moment where we can use those tools and those skills and that power to try to create a better America or a better world. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Hearing. On today's podcast, we will be discussing the amazing work of the law firm Anti-Racism Alliance with the LFAA's two co-presidents, Brenna Devaney and Keisha Morrow. In addition to leading the LFAA, Brenna is Director of Pro Bono Programs and Pro Bono Council at Skadden, and Keisha is Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Cravath. My name is Thomas Kim. I'm the Chief Legal Officer and Company Secretary of Thomson Reuters. I'm also a member of the LFAA Advisory Council and really privileged to be hosting the podcast here today. The Hearing. So let me begin uh, with a question for both of you, Keisha and Brenna. Uh, could you please talk about what the work of the LFAA is? And maybe I could start with First, Keisha. I just want to say thank you, Thomas, for this wonderful opportunity. Brenna and I love discussing all things LFAA. And so to be here with you and the entire community of the hearing is truly a gift. So thank you. At its core, the law firm Anti-Racism Alliance, or as we often say, LFAA, is a nonprofit whose mission is focused on racial equity in the law. Our work largely involves leveraging the pro bono resources, including talent, of our now more than 300 alliance law firms. So put another way, racial justice is our mandate and leveraging pro bono work is our primary tool. Now let me just take a step back and walk you through the origin story as we like to call it. LFAA was founded in the immediate aftermath of George Floyd's murder and the racial reckoning that ensued. Throughout law firms, and I'm sure not dissimilar from Thomson Reuters and other organizations across this company, if not world, there was this urge to do more, an urge that meant going beyond the usual work that we had been doing on the pro bono front to fight the ills of racial injustice, but to actually get to the core and the root of systemic racism. So a group of law firm managing partners and pro bono counsel led by Brenna um, came together and ultimately decided that collaboration across law firms focused on dismantling the laws that created, perpetuated, and maintained racial inequities in our country was needed. And this idea and effort became the law firm Anti-Racism Alliance. As of today, we have a volunteer board of 25 individuals. Brenna and I serve as co-president. We have an advisory council. And along with you, Thomas, there are 18 other members ranging from general counsel at corporations to managing partners at law firms. From the start of LFAA, we were very intentional in our efforts to be as inclusive as possible. So long as law firms were committed to a racially just society, they were welcome to join. So we now have 300 alliance firms, firms that include thousands of lawyers and professional staff, as well as some firms that have two practicing attorneys. 
we have alliance firm representation in each of the 50 states and our alliance firms have a range of practice and include volunteers from DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, marketing, IT, pro bono counsel, managing partners, practicing attorneys, and others throughout law firms. And we have an amazing community over 1,000 law firm volunteers who are the driving force behind LFAA's work. So to just drill down a bit on our work, we have three main focuses, convening, project development, and research. And I can share a bit about each with you. From the start of the organization, we were again very intentional about bringing together law firms across the country who were committed to racial justice. We made the decision to invite all law firms who shared our vision for a racially just America. But by making this decision, we embraced the fact that our alliance firms would be at different points in their DEI journey, as well as understanding of racial justice and anti-racist pro bono lawyering. And as such, we committed ourselves to providing ongoing forums for education and learning around racial justice and anti-racism. Furthermore, we understood and appreciate that many of our public interest and racial equity advocates, colleagues, have been doing this work for years. And as such, we have provided forums where we bring together our alliance firms to learn about racial justice lawyering and hear from the experts who have been doing this for throughout their careers. Our second area of work, and this ties again into our relationship with legal service organizations, is that we have created a structure where legal service colleagues can work with us to help flesh out potential areas that may require litigation, advocacy, or other legal help. We, as an organization, don't practice law, um, but we work with legal service organizations to pair them with alliance firms. We have a wonderful virtual bulletin board on our website that Thompson Reuters helped us create and maintain. And here, our alliance firms can go to pretty much take a matter off the bulletin board and then connect directly with a legal service organization. Um, and that's largely led by our projects committee and again involves our working groups. And then the third last official area of our work is what we are now calling the library. We have 18 working groups that sit at the intersection of substantive areas of the law and racial equity. Um, these areas range from education to housing to criminal legal to policing. Our working groups stand at the ready to help fill in gaps in information or data that are helpful in dismantling systemic racism in the law. So for example, a legal services organization might have a need for a 50 state survey that will look at the disproportionate impact of child abuse registries on individuals of color. Our working groups would undertake the research um, and provide it to the requesting organization. But then we would go one step further. Since we now have this information, we will make it available on our website through our library where anyone in the future who is in need of this information can go. So it'll save resources, it's efficient, and we hope to be a go-to where people can get information about anti-racist lawyering. So I think with that, that covers a broad overview of the work that we do, but I'll let Brenna add in anything that I missed. Thank you so much, Keisha. You never miss anything. No one gives LFAA in a nutshell better than you. What I would add is that um, we are thinking about what's next for the organization. We've spent a lot of time over the past almost two years thinking about our structure, our recruitment, and how we are going to do this work. Now we're thinking about how do we maintain the momentum? 
We have 300 law firms that have raised their hands and have said they're on board to do this work. But how do we make sure that they stay on board to do the work? How do we make sure that those 1,000 volunteers stay engaged and stay focused on dismantling systemic racism in the law? We're spending time thinking about motivating an entirely volunteer workforce. We're also thinking about the depth and breadth of our work. As Keisha said, we have quite a number of working groups, and we want to maintain the ability to stay nimble and flexible. At the same time, we know that certain issues are more pressing right now. And so we're doing some strategic thinking about where LFAA could add some energy and momentum and muscle to the work that's going into protecting our democracy and to ending systemic racism in the law. We're also significantly focused on building community. We know that if our volunteers and law firms are connected to each other across the country, that they will stay in discussion with each other, that they will encourage each other, and that, that is a critical, critical part of maintaining a volunteer workforce. You know, it's uh, it's really such incredible work. And since uh, Keisha and Brenna, you began with thanks, let me also uh, give a thank you to both of you for your incredible leadership of the LFAA. And I'm sure uh, a lot of our listeners, as I was when I first became involved with the organization, um, are struck both by your leadership, but also wonder, what is it about the sort of specific journeys that you took in your careers that brought you to this place and to this leadership position in this moment? And how has that been directly tied to what I think is quite amazing success of the organization? So maybe I could just go back to you, Brenna, and ask for your thoughts on how this has sort of led you to this moment. I won't go all the way back to um, my dad leading the charge to um, deinstitutionalize people with disabilities in Michigan. But it does start there, um, really being raised with um, determination around finding out what need is across communities and figuring out what I could do to be a part of solutions. I'll start with um, becoming pro bono counsel at Skadden, which really changed the course of my career and my life. And I've been doing that um, for quite some time now. And I think arguably I have the best job at Skadden, though maybe I shouldn't say that out loud. Um, my, my focus as a pro bono counsel, as is the focus of pro bono counsel and partners across law firms, is to be able to be tuned into need in communities. Where is there injustice? Where do lawyers need to focus their attention to make things more just? And so pro bono counsel becomes skilled in connecting community need to the resources and interests of the people in a law firm um, and building infrastructure around those needs and that interest and that those resources so that we can design a successful way forward. And so when you have those skills, when you see a problem like systemic racism in the law and the injustice that is occurring every day in our country, and you know that there is interest, deep, deep interest and commitment among lawyers at law firms to remedy those injustices, and you're tuned into the fact that law firms have incredible resources that could be put toward doing that work, you build the structure. And so that's what I was very privileged to be a part of doing along with, and it's very important that I say this, along with many, many other pro bono counsel and partners at law firms and people like Keisha who are deeply expert in 
diversity, equity, and inclusion matters. So that's probably most critical in my career story. But I'll also say that I don't think I'm unique in that as a lawyer, you are in a relational business. And you have to be in relationship with your clients, with your fellow lawyers, across business, across industry. And in order to build a movement like LFAA is trying to do, focusing in on those relationships and leveraging them allows for better success. And in this instance, the collaboration across law firms among pro bono counsel is what built up the energy and the momentum to start this organization. And then tapping the managing partners and chairs of law firms to use their community and relationships to grow this this effort is what really gave us our start and I think will carry us through is being in relationship with each other. And then I just say personally, it is it has always been, and I'll, I, I mentioned this at the beginning, growing up with intentionality around service to our communities um, to prioritize work that I care about. And I want to live in a country and a world that does not have systemic racism as a part of it. And so I'm going to make every choice I can in my career to be a part of that change. That's great. Thanks, Brenna. Uh, Keisha, I'd love to hear from you as well. Sure. Well, the quick and short answer is when Brenna calls, you answer. (laughs) Um, But going a bit deeper, my career for the past 15 plus years has focused on equity and building community. And my approach throughout all of my work, whether it's been with in a law firm or at a nonprofit or outside of either of those organizations has to always approach matters with this equity lens that necessitates that I ask the question, what is the role of equity? And in particular, where does race come into play? And for me, the fact that LFAA is specifically focused on racial equity resonated on all fronts, critical to what we do. And we've had many conversations about how do you define racial equity pro bono work? And where we've come to the point is that race has to be centered. Race has to be part of how we ask and frame the question and must be part of the solution. And that lens is directly relatable to me as a black woman with lived experience, as well as a DEI practitioner. And so first and foremost, that drew me to LFAA. Another piece I think that resonates with me and that has transferred from my day job, as I like to call it, to um, working with Brenna and the entire LFAA community is this idea of leading from behind or leading next to. So one of my purposes in life, I believe, is to help better position others and help them achieve success. Um, I can be out in the front leading initiative or I can be behind the scenes having a conversation that only me and the person I'm in the conversation with will ever know about, but it might be one of the most critical points in their career. And that brings me great satisfaction. And so in, with respect to LFAA, our two guiding principles are that we are here first and foremost to amplify the voices of individuals and communities of color. And second, we are here to support the work and be a value add to the work and efforts of our legal services colleagues who have been doing this work for years, if not decades, and if not lifetimes. So in other words, LFAA is a supporting actor 
and we are leading from behind or next to. So I think that is a perfect segue from what I do um, in my day job to what I'm doing now with LFAA. And then the last note I'll mention is, and I think this is probably true for Brenna and all of our pro bono colleagues and others in the social impact world, is that we know we have to remain steadfast. Success isn't always linear. It most definitely does not happen overnight, although we do take, <laughs> we will take that. Um, but both Brenna and I are keenly aware that LFAA's mandate is not short term. Racial equity work requires a long-term commitment. And so I think coming from my background and having that realization and recognition, recogn recognition that this is long-term work translates to the work that we're doing directly through LFAA and pursuing our mandate of racial equity and racial justice. That's wonderful, Keisha. I, I'd love to double click a little bit on one of the points that you said, and I think also Brenna mentioned this as well. And Keisha, you recognize that there has been folks working in this area for a long time and the great work that's gone before. And certainly pro bono is, is not anything new to law firms. So why do you believe that LFAA has been so successful in rallying support from law firms in a way that honestly we just haven't seen previously? Great question and great point to underscore that this work has been going on and LFAA is by no means the first to focus on systemic racism. But I do believe we are the first to do so in a collaborative way across law firms. So, you know, I think the number one thing that comes to mind that brought us all together is May 25th, 2020. The sense of activation and the shock to the nation, if not world's social and moral conscious around the murder of George Floyd, motivated, energized, activated all of us to do something more. Not, not to discontinue what we had been doing before, but a recognition that we needed to go above and beyond and that we needed to get to the root of systemic racism. And so the question for us as lawyers and professionals at law firms was, what can we do? How can we utilize our resources? How can we utilize our expertise? How can we make meaningful systemic change? And the answer to that, I think, goes along the lines, if you build it, they will come. Um, and that it was LFAA. So we provided a collaborative structure where firms of all sizes, of all practice areas, from across the country can contribute. We were very clear and we continue to be very clear and ambitious around our mandate of racial equity in the law, but we've also made the work accessible and we've been very inclusive and inviting all law firms, both lawyers and professional staff, so long as they are willing to advance racial equity in the law. Um, and I think that this approach was very welcoming um, to big, small, East Coast, West Coast, South, North firms um, across the country. Well, it's great to hear a little bit of the specifics around why the LFAA has been 
successful in a way different than we've seen in the past. Keisha, can I just ask you, you know, it's so easy in hindsight after the initial hard part is done to sort of list off all the steps that got you there, which you just did uh, very calmly and very sort of matter of factly. Can I just ask you, what was actually the biggest challenge or the biggest challenges in getting this initiative off the ground? I think one of the lawyers who's worked with us has summarized it pretty well by saying that in many ways, LFAA is a startup. Um, so we were and are very fortunate to have an abundance of support. Um, and that support came almost from day one as soon as we announced that LFAA is coming to existence. If you want to be part of this collaborative effort, come one, come all. At the same time, we were still creating our structure and finding out how best to get the work done. So for example, we hosted our second summit in October of 2020. We identified 19 areas that later became the starting points for our 19 working groups. And now we, now, and now we have 18 working groups. And so we had an idea of let's look at all these substantive areas of the law that intersects with, with racial equity and let's get the work going. Over time, we've come to find, for instance, with respect to our disability working group, that disability intersects with every area of the work that we're doing in LFAA. And so rather than have a standalone working group, it would be better to have a disability subcommittee or people who are focused on disability justice within each of the existing 18 working groups. So the challenge there is to be nimble and flexible and not wed to any one approach, so long as we are singularly focused on racial equity in the law. Um, two other challenges that come to mind that are ongoing challenges, one relates to the fact that we have over 300 alliance firms that are each at different stages in their understanding of racial justice lawyering and anti-racist pro bono work. Some have long histories of being involved with pro bono work focused on systemic and racial change. Others are newer to this front. And so as an organization, we are constantly challenged to help ensure that our volunteers are showing up in the right way to do the work. We must continually ask and hold ourselves accountable. Are we doing our work in a way that is culturally aware and humble? Do we understand the community dynamics? And are we amplifying the voices of the communities that we are setting out to serve? So we won't always get this right, but we have a responsibility as an organization to be on a journey of continual learning. And this requires us to deepen our knowledge of systemic racism by listening to the experts and centering the lived experiences of individuals of color. And then the last challenge I'll mention is that we're living in a time where there are so many concerns and threats to our democracy. Um, voting rights, immigration, reproductive rights, the environment, the list goes on and on and seems to grow every day. And if we aren't careful, each of these areas can be viewed within a silo and perhaps even worse, viewed in a way that they're competing for attention. And rather than allow this to happen, we as an organization have to make the connections and underscore the interconnectedness of each of these issues. And for us, that connection is through racial justice. 
Well, we certainly are living in a time of unprecedented sort of confluence of different challenges, as you mentioned, Keisha. Brenna, I'd, I'd like to turn to you. Um, and, and during this period of great sort of dynamism and risk, where we were really seeing threats to different parts of our liberties and our civil rights, there's some question of what's the best way and who are the right people to lead in this area of great need of change. You know, why do you, and you know, I'm, I, I'm asking you uh, specifically because you are a pro bono counsel, why do you continue to believe that the legal route and the work of lawyers are good paths to change? It is something that we think about quite a lot. As Keisha's mentioned several times, we are constantly thinking through what is our role as lawyers, but really as LFAA leaders and mindful of the fact that we can be a workforce, but we aren't necessarily the leaders. So I I would separate out the question of who should lead and who should do the work, because we are very, very um, focused on the fact that we are amplifying the voices of people and communities of color, and that there are organizations, civil rights organizations, legal services organizations that have been doing this work for decades and decades, and we are just trying to bring them people power. That said, what is the role of lawyers more generally? Um, How could lawyers be not a part of creating change that is codified in our very societal agreement? That is the work of lawyers. And I'd start, I think, with, you know, why do most people go to law school? I think most people go to law school because they are aware of the fact that becoming a lawyer comes with privilege and power to make change. How you use that privilege and power, of course, is a different question, but most people go to law school thinking that they will be able to affect some sort of change. So we have that within our our toolboxes, and and we're now at a moment where we can use those tools and those skills and that power to try to create a better America or a better world. Often people become lawyers um, because they are helpers. You have a client, you have someone who has come to you with a need, you've identified a problem, and you're going to to make positive change, whatever that, that means. So this is really within the DNA of lawyers, is to assess a problem or a need and to try to move it to a better space. So that's the way we do our work. This systemic racism that we're trying to take on, as I said before, is actually codified in our law. Um if we and if we understand that the only way forward for lawyers at least is to root out where it is in our law that we have you know enacted agreed to perpetuate racism in our society and we have to unroot that which means tearing those laws down and putting in place better laws and there's really no one else who can do that besides lawyers also on a more positive note lawyers can can envision with the assistance of communities and people of color and other stakeholders, what would we like our world to be like and and proceed in an affirmative way um, and to to try to enact laws that that, um, are responsive to those hopes and aspirations. So we're also doing doing that work as well. However, while I'm saying the work of lawyers is critical and must be part of the solution, as I talked about before, law is a relational profession And if we're going to create real change, deep, deep, lasting change, lawyers can't do this alone. And so I think it's it's a must that we we nod to and acknowledge the work of 
protesters, of business people, of corporations, of community organizers, students, parents, children. Um, this really has to be a global vision for the way forward, and lawyers can can provide some workforce around that. Um, the law, as I said, is our societal agreement. And right now, it is not what it could be or should be um, if we want to live in a racially just community and society. And just staying on the topic of the role that lawyers play, and maybe even more specifically with regards to pro bono legal work, Brenna, you know, what, what do you think distinguishes the focus of the LFAA from the many other wonderful pro bono initiatives that there are and have been in existence? Keisha and I get asked that question a lot. Why was LFA even necessary? If pro bono was already happening and lawyers were doing good work in partnership with legal services, what's the point here? And so um, we have a pretty clear list because we've thought about this quite a lot. And here's the list. We have a systemic focus. We have a broad collaboration. This is the private bar taking responsibility for organizing itself. The law, the law firms, pri the private bar has been recognized as a voice for change, that we have something to say and the power behind it to say something. We've made a long-term commitment specifically to racial justice, and we are overtly identifying racism in the law, and we are having really frank conversations about racial justice. So if I were to explain a little bit more what I mean, I would say that pro bono has for a very, very long time, for the most part, been really good at looking at an individual circumstance and helping that individual with the symptoms, of manif symptoms and manifestations of racism in her life. We take on an individual matter. We prevent an eviction. We help someone gain access to benefits. What we haven't been as good at is under asking why. Why was why was that person, that person of color in that particular situation? What was the system or the, the root of the problem and attacking that? And so now we're thinking about if a person is being evicted, how did that person get to that place? Why is that housing development in the place that it is? What are the environmental factors, the climate factors around that are making that child who lives in that development sick or have asthma all, all over, over and over and over again. And we're trying to make those changes. So it is not to say that taking on those individual and direct representations isn't equally and critically important. Law firms must keep doing that work in partnership with legal services organizations every single day. Every person matters. At the same time, if we want those systems to change, we have to attack the roots of the systems. And that happens by changing the laws. Well, it's certainly been an incredible rallying cry for folks um, over the last couple of years to sort of think about what they could do to help drive change and what lawyers specifically can do working with the LFAA. I, I, I wonder, Keisha, what's been the reaction and the level of support you've seen from the legal industry? You know, y'all are talking about some pretty um, significant amounts of change that need to happen. You're talking about systemic racism. You're talking about some issues that, you know, the legal industry really up until quite recently hadn't grappled with. What's the reaction that you've gotten? The outreach and the generosity have been overwhelming in the best of ways. From day one and the founding of LFAA, managing partners were in the room with Brenna and other pro bono counsel having these conversations that became LFAA. So, you know, even from day one, we've had law firm support 
And that support has come in the way of being thought partners. It's come in the way of providing us with legal assistance. So organizational documents, reviewing documents, working with us to gain nonprofit status. Law firms have also made their lawyers and professional staff available and encouraged them to be involved with our many working groups. We have over 1,000 volunteers who have devoted hundreds, if not thousands of hours to our shared vision. Um, individuals are part of our working groups. They serve on various committees like our projects committee, our DEI committee. They have developed programming that include three summits now, as well as monthly meetings of each of the working groups. They are at the ready to respond to any questions that come their way regarding racial injustices in the country. And for us, this gift of time is priceless. I also want to mention our legal service colleagues are our partners and they've supported our growth and have helped deepen our knowledge around racial justice lawyering. They serve as advisors, they've lent us their expertise, and we could not do this work without them, and we could not be more thankful for their advice um, and support at every step of the way. And then we have this amazing advisory council, as you know. Um, one of our advisory council members, Stacy Friedman, who is the GC at JP Morgan, has given us the gift of working with a strategic advisor, Brad Smith, whose perspective has been nothing short of instrumental in shaping our work. So thinking about metrics and how do we know that we're being successful, yes, you know, changing laws is always going to be what we're striving for, but also thinking about ways to build community. How do we make sure this library of research and white papers get off the ground so that they're accessible um, by racial justice advocates and community leaders across the country? Um, and that gift and his strategic expertise has been fundamental in shaping where we are today. And I, of course, have to mention Thomson Reuters and your leadership, Thomas. Our website is phenomenal. <laughs> um, it helps us connect to legal service organizations, community organizers, and just individuals who share our vision for a racially just world. We have our internal portal where we can connect legal service organizations with alliance firms. Our website is the hub of all of the communication that goes back and forth. Um, we are constantly adding things to what we think are our wish list, and then we come back the next day and they're already there. Um, it really is a gift. And all of this just speaks to the need and the support and making the work accessible to so many people who share this vision for dismantling systemic racism in our laws. And so the generosity, the support from the legal industry as a whole and even beyond has been incredible. Well, it's been a great privilege for those of us at Thomson Reuters to contribute to the, the work of the LFAA. And, and I would say one of the things that's exciting about me uh, participating on the advisory council is I get to really see how the tools that we every day see sort of turn the wheels of justice and keep the rule of law going can be applied in exciting new ways. And I would say our success in being able to support the 
great work that the LFAA has done has led us to build a model in which we're providing infrastructure content and tooling to other great um, pro bono organizations to go beyond the history that we have of just providing access to our legal content. So it's been a really great opportunity for us. And, and as you say, it's, it's just so encouraging and empowering for me to see all of us within the legal industry, both in private practice and in the general counsel's chairs, rallying together on this cause. And speaking of rallying together, I'd like to turn to you, Brenna, for a, an important final question, which is how can our listeners get involved? I love that question, Thomas, because that is the point, right? To get all of us engaged in doing anti-racist work, whatever that means, given your where you sit at work or your skill set. And so um, I really appreciate the opportunity to say something about that. LFAA is focused on motivating and organizing and activating law firms and their lawyers and professional staff. Of course, however, we are we sit in a world full filled up with other people who care about things and who have different sorts of jobs. And so we are, of course, thinking about how LFAA and our volunteer workforce can collaborate even beyond law firms. And Keisha gave you some examples of successes around that uh, with J.P. Morgan Chase and, of course, with Thomson Reuters. Um, so that is in the works and in the future. How can we broaden our collaboration beyond LFAA alliance firms? But for right now in this moment, if you're someone who's listening, who is already sitting at an alliance firm and you're not engaged in one of our working groups, that's the most direct path to start doing this work with us if working with LFAA is on your wish list. And as Keisha mentioned, we have an amazing website that should be very easy to navigate um, for you to, to find us and to connect with us. So that's the first way forward for people who are working at alliance firms. If you're at a law firm and your law firm is not an alliance firm, maybe that's something you want to ask questions about and think about whether or not for your law firm it's a good fit to raise your hand and see how you can be involved in LFAA. We are looking for leaders for LFAA. There are so many opportunities within our organization to take ownership, to take um, uh, you know, a forward step in terms of rallying the people at law firms who want to be engaged in this work. There is no shortage of work to be done. If you're not at a law firm and you're a lawyer or you're just a person who cares about the issues that we care about, if your values are shared values with LFAA, of course you can reach out to me and Keisha. We we love having these conversations, as we hope has come through in, in this conversation. Um, but we would just encourage you to, to look around, to look around your world, to look around your community, to start locally. Um to talk to your kids about these issues, to be bold and brave in your conversations, and to think about um, what skills you have. Are you an architect or a dentist or a stay-at-home parent who's really good at organizing schedules? I mean, there are so many skills that each of us have, and if we bring them to bear on the issues that we care about, this is possible and within reach um, to make actual change to create a more racially just world. 
With that call to action, we will bring our podcast to a close. Uh, thank you so much to Keisha Morrow and Brenna Devaney for being such wonderful guests. And thanks to our listeners for taking the time to learn about the tremendous work of the Law Firm Anti-Racism Alliance and how you can support the LFAA in your own way. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.